Hello, and welcome to the Warden Fintech Podcast. I'm your host, Kian Asani, and today we are joined by Karn Saroya, the CEO and co-founder of Cover. Cover is a technology company and nationally licensed insurance brokerage that works with more than 30 insurance companies across the United States. Their apps ensure that customers get the most out of their insurance, the best possible customer experience, and the best rates and coverage. To date, Karn has raised more than $27 million for Cover. Karn's first company, Stylekick, was acquired by Shopify in 2015. And before entrepreneurship, he was a management consultant at Oliver Wyman. Karn, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. To start, I think it'd be really interesting to hear more about your background. You spent some time in your career at Oliver Wyman and then uh, were one of the founders of Stylekick. What lessons did you carry over from those experiences into founding Cover? Um, so, yeah, I'm, first of all, uh, happy to address each of those separately because they're pretty different. Uh, yeah. Oliver Wyman, um, you know, I was a management consultant, Stylekick, I, I built a fashion business. Um, uh, very different from what you would otherwise do as a two-year uh, like entry-level consultant. Um, mm-hmm. So, <clears throat> uh, you know, at Oliver Wyman, I was primarily in the finance and risk practice. I did a little bit of insurance work, so I got an appreciation for stuff that was on the solvency side and on the banking side, uh, the, uh, stress testing for the most part. That style kick, I, I left Oliver Wyman to start, um, and it started off as me building uh, a body scanner with Anand, who's our CTO. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we, at that time, uh, hacked together uh, three connect sensors. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the connect sensor, but it's basically a thing that allows you to play Dance Dance Revolution okay. uh, on the Xbox. All right. The combination of a depth sensor and a webcam. Okay. Um, three points of perspective gives you a body form. You can use math to shave away clothes, and we thought that we would use that uh, to inform sizing decisions on the internet uh, for people who are trying to buy clothes on the internet. Okay. Um, dumb idea. Uh, it turned out to you know a couple of simple logical checks. Uh, would have prevented us from moving down that path. Uh, there are no body scanners in the malls across America. There isn't a war for uh, space in malls across America for body scanners. Right. Um, and it's generally a pretty creepy thing uh, for folks to to participate in. So we step back, um, you know, and we we try to hone in on what it was specifically that we were trying to do, and that was to try and predict, uh, you know, the stylistic tastes of our customers. So we launched an app that showed our customers outfits. And individual parts of an outfit could be tapped, so you could tap a, a blouse or a handbag or, or what have you. Uh, we would pick up on the prices, the colors, the structural elements of each of those things, and those would inform uh, styling decisions. Um, so the content that we show you in the future would be related to the content that we showed you in the past uh, and you had interacted with. Um, so it was a super sexy product. We grew out to about a million active users. We ended up being acquired. Uh, our team joined Shopify to run a mobile product team there. Um, uh, again, super different from from Oliver Wyman, uh, where most of my most of my clients, uh, were when I was, uh, you know, on a, a particular project, were banks or insurance companies. Got it. So, what what kind of exposure to insurance did you have at Oliver Wyman that influenced your decision then to break into the space after? <laughs> to, to be honest, very little. I mean, that's a big pivot. <laughs> to, to be honest, it's very little, right? right. Um, I, I think, you know, all all what Oliver Wyman. Uh, gave me, and what I'm very grateful for is, uh, you know, polish and poise. Okay. Um, and, and uh, you know, a basic analytical skill set uh, that's served me decently well over the coming years, but it certainly didn't teach me how to build product. Um, the only thing that taught me how to build product was building product. 
uh, and, and jumping head, head first into it. Okay. Um, so, you know, it, it turned out to be an iterative thing, trying to figure out what the hooks would be uh, to get people to engage with the things that we built. Um, and, and, you know, it was, it was very much a zero to one type of experience in, in trying to get what were the, what were the kernels uh, of value or the utility we could offer to our customers and building on top of that. Um, it was an non-obvious thing for us when we were building out StyleKick that people would interact with individual parts of an outfit, mm -hmm. um, and that is something they did pretty readily. Um, yeah. So uh, you know, Oliver Wyman probably was a polished StyleKick uh, was featured in eighty countries, um, translated into fourteen languages. Wow. And we learned to build pretty sexy products in a pretty sexy space. Yeah. Uh, now we build sexy products in an unsexy space. Yep. <laughs> yeah. After StyleKick. What influenced you to break into the insurance space? Sure. Um, so we were at Shopify. Uh, we were kicking around a bunch of different ideas. We knew that we built beautiful mobile applications. Yep. We knew that we wanted to focus in on a consumer product. Um, but we wanted the underlying model, the economic model, to make sense. Um, you know, we could, we could pick up tens of thousands of new users for Stalkic in a day. Uh, and the math simply wouldn't work out. Like the LTVs were simply not high enough to substantiate our cost of acquisition, or even, mm -hmm. our, quite frankly, our hosting costs over time. Um, with with Cover, uh, you know, we kicked the can on uh, a variety of consumer-facing experiences. Some weird, some not. Uh, we tried building out, uh, you know, a um, another entertainment app because Natalie, who, uh, who's one of my co-founders, uh, worked for Russell Simmons in New York. Uh, we considered building out a training app. Um, and on end, who's our CTO, was a personal trainer and a health coach prior uh, to okay. becoming a, an engineer. Um, and we settled we settled on cover uh, pretty quickly. Uh, you know, the, the initial conversation was what has consumer scale and SaaS type economics. Yep. And insurance is one of the very few things yeah, uh, that everyone needs to buy, and very few people get rid of over time. Mm -hmm. So the churn super low. Uh, you know, the adoption rate super high, uh, and there was nobody at that time doing anything on native mobile. Yep. Um, and so we built a super simple app, uh, you know, not having any insurance licenses, not knowing much about insurance at all, um, that just asked our customers to take pictures and videos of things they wanted to insure. Yep. That's it. Yeah. Um, and so it led to a camera, and lo and behold, we saw all sorts of things. We saw racehorses, we saw cars and homes. We saw pets, uh, jewelry, lots of venture capitalists sending us pictures of their fancy watches. There, okay. there was a lot. There was a lot of that that was going on. Um, and, and in a consumer, I say this a lot, but in a consumer, when you see a behavior that violates your expectations, mm. that's when you know you're gonna. You should double down. Yeah. Um, and so from there on in, you know, we applied to YC. We raised a lot of money, but. We went from effectively knowing nothing about insurance to probably some of the preeminent experts on insurance period on Earth. Right. Uh, over the course of a couple a couple of years. So, where does Cover sit in the insurance distribution supply chain? Sure. So when you have like retail brokers, uh, MGAs, carriers, reinsurers, where does it sit, and has, does it disintermediate any of these factors? Yeah. So so uh, when we first started, we were a lead gen business. We, we learned that we couldn't work with brokers because most of them are aging out of the business okay. and wouldn't get back to our customers. Right. Uh, so we built a national insurance brokerage okay. uh, spanning 49 states and working with 30 carriers. Uh, now we've built an MGA simply because most of the carriers we work with don't have simple pricing or payments APIs, meaning right. we can't construct 
um, the types of experiences that we want to, um, unless we go do it ourselves. Okay. So if you think about it, we're, we're continuously moving down the value chain. Right. right. Um, and owning more of the product and consumer experience. So the way, the way that so, comes Sorry, can you yeah. briefly explain the MGA concept? To sure, sure, sure. So, um, you know, you can think of an MGA as anything along the spectrum of being solely responsible for customer acquisition. There are MGAs that just do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there are MGAs that do everything uh, from, you know, underwriting the product. So designing the insurance product and handling claims. Yep. So distribution, underwriting claims, Got potentially. It. Generally speaking, you don't see MGAs taking very significant balance sheet risk. Um, they, they do participate uh, anywhere from 10 to 25% of a program, but they are generally speaking reinsuring mm-hmm. um, uh, with a carrier or more likely a reinsurer. Got it. Yeah. Thank you. So, so you guys built a national MGA to... Yeah, so we're, we're, we're in the process of building a national MGA. It's very likely we'd, we'd probably just go buy a carrier. Okay. Uh, as well. So to the other the other distinguishing feature of MGAs is they use something called a fronting carrier, mm-hmm. uh, where they are renting, uh, you know, effectively the license from it from an admitted insurance company in a state. Okay. Yeah. So that's that's interesting. So it seems like you're taking yeah. the place of the retail broker MGA, and then maybe even soon moving up to that carrier as well. Yeah. So how do, how do you see a model like Cover mm-hmm. affecting the rest of the insurance space? Sure. I think, um, you know, when we when we first started out, it was a relatively conservative approach, just proving out that we could drive significant volume. Mm-hmm. And we did that when we built out our first our first apps. Um, from here on in, it's it's a, a approach of continue continuing to prove out that we can acquire good risks at reasonable cost and underwrite those risks to a profit, um, meaning that we do not blow ourselves up and we don't continuously raise venture capital to fund underwriting losses, which is an unsustainable okay. model, mm-hmm. uh, quite frankly. Um, most of the folks in InsurTech have not written at a profit yet. We have. Um, our, across our entire book of business, we have been writing profitably and are becoming much more comfortable taking more of the stack as a result. Right. Uh, that's the difference. But, but I mean, the thing that I care more about outside of just the basic null model is can we get the consumer product experience right? Because mm-hmm. that matters. Um, the consumer product experience fine. It's table stakes to to you know make it easier to get insurance, build an elegant front end, um, you know be able to distribute those insurance products on a variety of platforms other than our apps. Like those, I think those things are, are table stakes. Um, it's using the product to act as a sieve for good risks that differentiates us. Um, and so you know a lot of the information that we collect on the front end turns us into a sophisticated frontline underwriter. So proof of insurability, right, with pictures and videos. Location services deter garaging fraud, so you don't misrepresent yourself. Uh, pictures of odometer readings to deter mileage fraud, so you don't misrepresent how much you drive. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, using sensors on device to detect whether younger drivers are uh, texting while driving. Um, there are a whole, there, there are a plethora of these, these features that are only, these things that are really only possible in native mobile devices that help us pick out bad risks so that our customers are the beneficiaries of lower rates and a better experience. So you, you were talking about underwriting profitably. Mm-hmm. Can you give us an example of what that type of underwrite would look like, that policy, and the kind of unit economics of it? Sure. Um, so let's take the stylized example of auto insurance. Sure. Right? Auto insurance is considered a, a fairly low margin business on a blended basis across a given state. So Pennsylvania, you know, you're probably writing uh, anywhere between like a 72 and 75% loss ratio, which means for every dollar that you pay in premiums, um, you know, the cost of administering a claim plus the claim 
generally looks like 72 cents to 75 cents on the dollar. Got it. Um, and so the rest of that dollar is either you know, profit mm-hmm. um, or it is uh, used to, to cover your expenses. And this is acquisition. Uh, this is everything that get, is required to support the selling of an insurance policy. Right. Does that so, include the commissions and fees to brokers? Yeah, so, the, so that you can bucket that into acquisition. Got it. Right. Uh, and so ideally, you're operating a combined ratio. This means their loss ratio plus your expense ratio of sub 100. Mm-hmm. Right. So you're, you're writing business profit. Right. Um, that is not always the case, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you met, and you mentioned there was yeah. low churn on these. So the LTV is pretty good that once you acquire a customer. Yeah, yeah. So, so the name of the game in insurance, uh, like most of financial services, is you know cross sell and retention are mutually reinforcing. Right? Okay. So a product like auto insurance, um, you know, ostensibly can be low margin because it gives you an opportunity uh, to have a conversation about home when a, when somebody buys a home, or have a conversation about term life when a customer has a kid mm-hmm. um, or uh, have a conversation about an umbrella policy um, when you start to accumulate assets, you know, other, you have other potential liabilities. Right. right. And so as you see, you see, you know, churn fall as a function of the number of policies that you have. Right? Mm-hmm. Like if you, if you have an auto home life, an umbrella policy with a carrier, you're basically not going anywhere. Right. You're locked right? in. Yeah. You're, you're locked in. And so, so you, cross sell is important. It's, it's um, in this business, especially the annuity type nature of this business, it's incredibly important. Right. Which is one of the reasons we're a multi-line entity to begin with. Mm-hmm. Uh, and our churn tends to be better than one-on-one. Right. Yeah. So given that you are moving now into the MGA space and then yeah. maybe one day acquiring a carrier, how does that eliminate some of those costs of acquisition that a traditional carrier would have to pay down the supply chain to get a customer? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, uh, let's take Geico as an example, right? right. Geico spends $2 billion mm-hmm. on, on acquisition per year. Its belief, its implicit bet, is that that is a more efficient way to acquire customers and have brick-and-mortar agents, yeah, of right, at who they are paying an annuity over time. Mm-hmm. Um, they've been able to prove that out, right? Uh, direct-to-consumer businesses and insurance do make sense. Um, that being said, there are there are still drawbacks, right? There, the direct-to-consumer businesses like Geico uh, operate at loss ratios that are can be substantially higher than uh, than brokered business, right? So if you work with your independent agent, um, Gentline, you know, an independent agent, for example, can work like a progressive. If you look at a progressive um, book, the independent agents outperform for whatever reason. Uh, the direct-to-consumer, right? Yeah. Um, so th- it's a, it's a, you know, a give and a take. Um, I think, you know, having, having control of a brand voice, um, a centralized marketing function is a distinct advantage. Mm. Uh, and it's something that we do internally. Like everything that we sell is here is, is cover first. Right. Yeah. Earlier you mentioned that you guys are in 49 states. Yep. Uh, how does that from a regulatory standpoint change from state to state? Is it? Is it difficult for you guys to enter a new state or building new product out in one state versus another? Yeah, so so it depends on whether you're talking about the brokerage part of our business or the MJ part of our business mm-hmm. or the potentially carrier part of our business. Um, yeah, it's very much like 50 different countries, right? Mm-hmm. Some some of which are easier to operate in and some of which are not. Yep. Um, and, you know, if you think about it, you can think about it uh, along the spectrum of is this state a consumer advocate for insurance or is this state an insurance advocate for insurance? Yep. And most states sit somewhere in the middle, 
Um, some states are, are firmly aligned with the consumer, so California and New York are, are good examples of that. Um, and some are a little bit more insurer-friendly and business-friendly. Okay. Um, and, and the way that that, manif- that manifests is, you know, ultimately, how open is the regulator to novel approaches to underwriting business, to selecting good risks in a non-discriminatory way, mm-hmm. right? In, fun- in, a, in a non-fundamentally discriminatory way. Right. Insurance is about discrimination. Of course. Um, and, and I'm not sure what the right balance is. Um, what, what I will say, though, is that I do appreciate that there is a regulator. I think, like, you know, it serves the public good uh, to know that there is somebody looking out for the interests of underrepresented groups of people, mm. um, lower income communities. Um, that matters to me. Yep. Um, uh, it matters to me that de- they are not uh, usurously charged or having their faces ripped off with, yeah. with excessive premiums. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so, you know, I think most regulators perform that function particularly well. The, the other function that they perform is to make sure that, uh, you know, insurance company continues to operate in the public interest and they don't blow themselves up, right? Your insurance company has to charge adequate rates because if they do not, um, they can't pay claims, right? Right. And if they can't pay, pay claims, then there's a little point to insurance. Yeah. Um, and that, that ultimately ends up sitting with the state. Um, I think that there probably is eventually a path to a like a federal um, regulatory system, but it hasn't it hasn't stopped us or others from from starting to build meaningful businesses. Yeah. Uh, what we since we brought up claims now, what is the process that a user of cover would have to go through to um, process a claim? Sure. So, so on the brokerage side of the business, we we are firmly in the court of our customer. We, we work for our customer mm-hmm. um, and are there to guide them through any issues they might have with some of our carrier partners. So, yeah. you know, the, the beauty of our, our product is like we have proof that property exists in a given time, place, and condition. Um, so, you know, you, you can provide to an adjuster and adjudicator uh, that this is actually the property that was my house when, you know, uh, you know, unfortunately it burned down or got right. yeah. uh, burned down or uh, there was no prior damage to my vehicle uh, mm-hmm. before I got into this particular accident and, yeah. and you, should, you should pay out this claim. That's the brokerage side of the business. Um, for for the and, MGA, and sorry the the uh, photo application of your ad, the fact that people are taking pictures of what they're insuring. Yeah. How much do carriers actually rely on that? We yeah. we're the frontline underwriter. Okay. Right. Um, most carriers are not able to ingest that kind of information. Okay. They, they sit on technology stacks that just simply would not allow them. To of course. Yeah. Um, and so that actually manifests in us having superior loss ratios mm. to the carriers. I was going to say that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and so. Carriers love us. We make them a lot of money right. Right? Uh, in, in doing things that uh, help to mitigate all sorts of fraud on the front end. Mm-hmm. Um, and looking at that, we, we wonder why we should just be doing it ourselves, yeah. <laughs> right? uh, which is what's led us to starting to stand up some of our own products. Yeah. So you, you talked about being the advocate of the, bro- of the, uh, of the insured when you're the yep. broker. Yeah. How does that juxtapose and change when you guys move upstream yeah so so my 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 view on this is is pretty straightforward it's like if i if we are not a very consumer-centric company Mm. we're never going to have an opportunity to expand the relationship that we want to have into the relationship we want to have with our customers yep um and so we want to empower our customers with all the tools that are necessary to make sure that a claim that should be paid is paid and judiciously right um so if it comes down to us building out an experience an app that allows for us to 
pay out a windshield, a, a damaged bumper or a windshield um, or minor fire or, or flood in a home, um, you know, a low severity, high frequency event as quickly as possible, we will do that. Um, uh, and, and that's generally my, speaking my focus. We've, we've always been on the side of consumer advocate. Uh, and even, even in the case of starting to take some of this risk, we know there's a broader relationship to be had. Um, uh, and that's, that's generally speaking our point of view on this. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's really interesting. It's, it's funny that you can be on both, I guess, other large insurance carriers who have MGAs or a brokerage arm as well are dealing with that as well. And I'm yep. sure this is something that a lot of your competitors in the insure tech brokerage and distribution space are also kind of thinking about. So what kind of separates cover from a Lemonade or a Metro Mile yep. or Oscar? Kind of like what, what how does those, those different business models kind of sure. compete? So, so the way that we're thinking about this is like how much value or how much wealth can we transfer back to our customer? Yeah. Right. Um, and that's either in pure dollar form or that's in utility from the things that we built okay. uh, to support our customers, right? So over time, you know, we have access to all of these contributory databases. Like we can pull motor vehicle history. We can pull driver history. Mm -hmm. um, the fact that insurance companies do that but don't make that information available in a transparent way to their customers is kind of ridiculous. So if you wanted to know, like, whether your car was considered a lemon at some point, we'll let you know. Right. Like, if you want to know... Uh, what is on your driver history? Because it's a relatively opaque thing mm. uh, that insurance companies are considering when they're rating you. Well, we'll let you know, right? Um, so information-related products, um, because we're a tech company, we can spin these up and make them available broadly. Um, we also just think about where our customers are and where we can add value, right? So uh, in, uh, one of the products that we spun up in, in the state of Texas is uh, driving.cover.com. It's a defensive driving school. Of all things. Oh, no way. Um, and so if you think about people... It helps that, your premium, probably. It absolutely helps your premium, yeah. right? Um, so you think about why you would go through defensive driving school. It is to remove a violation, mm -hmm. right? Or to access an insurance discount. Yeah. Right? Um, it's great for us because it's a product that we can build and, and give away for free, mm -hmm. effectively for free. Uh, and it's great for the customer because once they've accessed it, they get lower premiums, right? Yeah. Um, so it is. What are the value-added services that we can we can um, you know offer to our customers that differentiate us? Yep. Uh, because insurance at its core is commoditized, right? The, the way that you've seen differentiation happen in this space in the past, you know, the best example of that in, in personal lines and, and even commercial is Chubb, right? Like Chubb is a very expensive product. Mm -hmm. uh, they they focus on the wealthiest clientele. Um, and the way they differentiate themselves is purely on service and experience. They charge nearly double um, what other insurance companies do, yeah. right? So my, my, my thinking is, and my, my frame of reference is, how can we use technology to deliver a better than Chubb type of experience uh, while still being very, very cost competitive yep. for a broader cross-section of the U.S. population? Yeah. But, I mean, how could you be, have such a hands-on experiences Chubb because I use Chubb because my parents yeah. use Chubb mm -hmm. and it costs me an arm and a leg but if I pick up the phone my, mm -hmm. the agent responds right away yeah. and can talk to them yeah, yeah. immediately. We, we do things like actually we sell like once once you've gone through the process of onboarding with cover uh, you have a dedicated text line um, to uh, to an agent right. uh, at cover so whenever it is you do need something you need an endorsement handled um, you know you want to inquire about 
a claim or you have some other customer service request, the profile of our customer is relatively young. It's 28, yep. right, in accumulating assets. It's as easy as using your dedicated line to text somebody mm -hmm. or, 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 you know, pop open the app and message. Wow. So how okay. many agents does uh, Cover have today? Yeah, so we're, we're about 53 people now. 53, okay. Yeah, and more than half our team is sales and service. Got it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. But most of your most of your premium comes through your mobile platform. It's not yep. it's not through agents actually picking up the phone. Yeah, it's a, it's like at, at the end of the day, our, our agents um, are gonna be the ones that are mostly in a service capacity. Or, mm -hmm. you know, because the the average bundle, like the basket size of a sale that covers like eighteen hundred dollars, there's there's a fair there are a fair number of Americans for whom that is a very material part of their after tax income and they need some comfort. Um, before they convert yep. on buying that policy. Yeah. So uh, th there'll be a human element to, you know, a proportion of the traffic that we address, and that's going to probably sit anywhere between 30 and 45% of all traffic, but the okay. rest of it will be automated. Got it. Yeah. So uh, just thinking about premium underwritten per agent for a traditional insurance model, yeah. got me thinking about some of the KPIs that you might use mm -hmm. At an insurance tech distribution platform, what are like the key KPIs that you look at sure. to kind of gauge your performance? Sure. So, so I mean, it depends on the function of the business, right? right? So, like for so the brokerage uh, arm. So, so let's let's just break it out between like product growth and sales. Yep. Right. Um, so, product our product KPIs are predominantly related to how people flow through our apps, right? Mm -hmm. What the drop off points are, uh, where we can re engage our customer, what the happy moments are, and yep. we drive like higher value at those. Um, and so there's a traditional product funnel that we optimize against. Um, our growth KPIs are, are move, have, were very CPA based, so those cost per cost of acquisition based, mm -hmm. uh, but have moved to being uh, very LTV focused. Okay. Right? So there's this give and take, right? In insurance, you can spend very little to acquire customers that are risky because they're constantly churning. Right, and they're constantly looking for insurance because it's hard for them to get insurance. Yeah, um, but that results in very, very low lifetime values. Right, so you can have low, low cost of acquisition, but also l negative LTV potentially. Okay. Right, um, and so what we care about in that context is: are we accessing good risks, and are is the broader community of covered customers the beneficiary of that pool of good risks? Okay, right, um, and so it's very, our, our 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 spend is very tied to the ultimate LTV of the customer. Uh, and there's a whole bunch of stuff that happens there. Mm -hmm. um, on the sales side, um, and the LTV of the customer actually ties into whether we're underwriting profitably. Right? Yep. Um, so again, you want to be in, within the growth function. You want to be acquiring good risk at reasonable cost and underwriting the profit. Mm -hmm. Right. On the on the sales side, um, you know, our salespeople tend to be super high leverage. Like we have this combination of Twilio Flex. I don't, I don't know if you're familiar with no, that. No, It's like a and, and, a and a customized instance of Salesforce that allows our, our agents to talk to many customers at once okay, because uh, it's a messaging platform fundamentally. Right. Um, and so we think about, hey, like, what's the time to get back to our customer? Yeah. What, like, uh, what's the throughput, uh, you know, of customers per agent? What's the sales per agent per day? Like, these are the, these are the tech-esque uh, KPIs. Yep. And then those all have to roll in traditional insurance API, uh, KPIs. Right. Like, what does retention look like? Right. What is your under? What are the loss ratios over the course of the last eighteen months look like? Yep. Like those are the things that ultimately these, you know, all of these other dashboards flow into. You you mentioned uh, auto traditional auto insurance mm -hmm. as as the product for uh, the policy we discussed earlier. Yeah. How do you see telematic data 
um, having an impact on that space and influencing yeah. insurance pricing and policy generation in the future. Yeah. So, so I think, um, look, like there are some truths, right? The less you drive, the less you're likely to get into an accident, the lower mm-hmm. your premium should be. Um, there, some of the incumbent carriers like Progressive have had things like Snapshot and many billions of miles driven um, as, as a reference data set uh, and yet do not offer very material discounts. Yeah, uh, for for you know being part of these programs, so that for me is a bit, little bit of a red flag, um, uh, because they're smart. Like the incumbents are smart from a data science perspective, mm. um, and and so we think more about what are the what are the things that we can use on device that can be more behavioral intervention than telematics driven, really. Right. Right. And we talked we talked a little bit about this before, but you know we can do simple things like detect whether the orientation of a phone has changed while you're driving at 120 miles per hour. Uh, and we can't cancel or non-renew, but we can certainly discourage younger drivers from driving recklessly by letting their parents know yep. uh, <laughs> that, that you've been, they've been driving yeah. recklessly. Again, nothing that you can rate against, no actuarial basis, but you're using some, you know, uh, data from device to, to do things to change mm. people's behavior. Right? Yeah. That I think is gonna be the most impactful thing that we can do. Right. Mm. And how do you how do you respond to like because I feel like sometimes my phone thinks I'm yeah. facing one way and I'm facing the other way. Sure. I mean, would it be fair for my premium to go up because of something like that? Yeah, yeah. So so that's the other thing. From an experiential point of view, you do not want to have an app that is constantly ping, like pinging a GPS satellite. Exactly. Right? Like yeah. It's going to kill gonna my battery. Kill too. your battery. Yeah. Right. And so it has to be on a sampled basis, and mm-hmm. it has to be sampled uh, uh, infrequently enough, uh, just to show persistency in the Got behavior. It. Right. Got it. So rather rather than constantly monitoring you, it should be it, it can be at, you know following a specific pattern that we specify. Got it. Yeah. That's really interesting. Moving more to the insurtech space as a whole, mm-hmm. covers backed by some of the most interesting and notable investors in the world. Mm-hmm. What does the insurtech investment landscape? look like today yeah in terms of valuations is there consolidation right now mm-hmm. and can we expect consolidation in the future okay um so it's a good time uh for folks who are entering the growth stages yep. of, of uh, uh you know building out insurance entities uh we're the beneficiaries of that uh there's two and a half billion dollars uh that went into growth stage insure tech last year okay uh so a fairly significant amount of money yeah um look like the, the underlying context for this, um, and, and the underlying context for relatively high valuations in InsurTech, so if, you know, there's 500 billion in premium written in just property insurance in the United States every year. Yeah. There are hundreds of admitted insurance companies in the United States, a lot of which are privately held, a lot of which focus on a very, very narrow slice of the insurance market, but are low-key billion-dollar companies. Mm-hmm. You have low-key mom-and-pop carriers that focus on workers comp or motorcycle or what have you yep that make money and are billion dollar companies so the belief has to be that you know you take folks with significant tech dna and an understanding of the insurance market um, and allow them to build something from first principles that's brand new and in service of the customer and you can create more value than than a lot of these guys uh, mm. over the decades that they've been in business. Of course, yeah. Um, so I actually think that there are going to be fairly, fairly significant exits um, uh, in InsurTech. Uh, and it's going to be 
incumbents buying their future if they can, mm -hmm. or ending up competing with folks who have got now a flywheel that is spinning, right? Uh, where they are underwriting business profitably and they take they're taking names. They can continue as a going concern and are default alive. Yeah. Right. Um, those are the paths that I see. Um, and so I, I, I'm not, you know, I, I, folks ask me about these the valuations and the amount of money that have flown into insurance. I think there's going to be a lot more, mm. quite frankly, that flows in. Yeah. Uh, because the opportunity is, you, is so significant, um, especially in the, like, you know, fine, you think about the United States, but a lot of us have built out the plumbing to sell trust anywhere on earth, mm. right? Uh, and the, the opportunity just seems to get bigger. Well, it absolutely gets bigger from there. Right. Yeah. And in, I'm sure Cover yeah. thinks about this when they look at their demographics as mm -hmm. well. But in competing with incumbents, I mean, you're not looking to take their names, as you mentioned, once you have a bunch of policies with mm -hmm. a certain carrier or whoever, it's hard for you to switch. Um, so is it more about the next generation, the next wave? Yeah. So so one of the, one of the uh, features that our carrier partners actually like about us is that we do not pit them against one another. Okay. Right. So... When you get a price from us uh, and you get messages from us via SMS or in-app messaging, uh, you know, Progressive is not up against Safeco or Travelers. It is, what, did we conform to the underwriting rules and the business requirements of that carrier to arrive at the fit between the, the customer and the carrier? Got right? it. Um, and so they like, they love that. I mean, we underwrite profitably. We make them money. Mm. We, we don't showcase their brand against their competitors. And we offer up one of the most exceptional experiences that their customers have had, right? With a with a traditional insurance carrier, right? Um, so there are a lot of pluses uh, with, uh, with working with us. Got it. Yeah, that makes that makes sense. Well, I think one more question for you was: you founded two companies, mm -hmm. um, both in the mobile space, using yeah. mobile to d distribute what it was a traditional product. Mm -hmm. um, what? advice do you have for future entrepreneurs, people who are looking to break into, you know, native mobile as a whole and insurance mm -hmm. as well? Yeah. So, so look, like I think, um, we, we earned our stripes building really beautiful native mobile products, but mm -hmm. I think, I think like given the context of the business, we're going to become increasingly distribution agnostic, right? Our products are going to have APIs on top of them such that any sophisticated third party distributor will be able to sell insurance on our behalf. Yep. Right. We'll be able to, make available a simple RESTful API that allows for insurance to be sold at point of sale on platforms. Um, you know, Shopify is an example of that yeah. from Shopify um, or within dealerships um, uh, or wherever people are considering buying things that are insurable, right? Mm -hmm. um, so it was our wedge, right? Native mobile is our wedge. We do really well at it. Uh, but from here on in, um, we're going to, we're absolutely going to explore other channels of, of acquisition to, to and certainly um, things that we think are durable yeah yeah I look I, I as a as an entrepreneur the thing that you care about um, it's not necessarily channel selection because maybe that plays a part in whether or not you can get to signal pretty quickly like it depends on uh, the number the the n that flows through your products to determine whether or not they're getting any utility out of them yep but the key is honing on whether honing in on whether they're getting utility out of what you're building Right, uh, and for us, it manifested as unique behaviors. Right, people washing their cars and sending us videos of themselves washing their cars to show pride of ownership. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, so, so long as you can get signal that you are offering your your end consumer and a direct consumer business some value, um, you can scale from there. 
right? right. That's the thing you care about above all else. Yeah, I gotta ask before we before we end. But um, what's the craziest thing someone's tried to insure? Oh, we got we got racehorses, we got tree houses, <laughs> we got comic book collections. Okay, we got a tank that was decorative that was being sent. Look, it was it was going to Burning Man, it's California. So, yeah, yeah. Um, all sorts of crazy things. Yeah, uh, but you I definitely mean, want to insure that before you go to Burning Man. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. I don't know. Um, uh, but I mean, most of our business is traditional insurance, right? It's cars, homes, pets, jewelry, electronics, yep. renters, things like that. Of course. Yeah. Well, Karin, thank you so much for joining us today. I know you're extremely busy. It was an honor to have you on the podcast. Again, thank you for hosting me. I really appreciate it. Great. Thank you. Cheers.